Welcome to This Cast Here, a podcast for parents and teachers about the best way to support kids living with learning difficulties. My name's Michael Shanahan. And my name is not Michael Shanahan. It's Bill Hansberry. <laughs> Welcome. And today we are joined by Benita Ranson, who is an educational psychologist. And we are talking to Benita about ADHD and ADHD and how it relates to specific learning difficulties. And before we formally welcome Benita, I just want to acknowledge that we are recording on the lands of the Ghana people. Uh, we want to pay respects to uh, elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge their deep connection to the land we're on, and, uh, and also acknowledge that uh, colonisation and dispossession, unfortunately, are ongoing processes. Welcome, Benita. Thank you, Bill, and thank you, Michael. My pleasure. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here talking about ADHD and learning difficulties. It's a pleasure um, to have you. Yeah. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Well. Give us a little bit of your background. I have been working in the educational psychology field since 2004. I've been in private practice doing educational assessments since 2005. Uh, I've worked in public schools as an educational psychologist. Um, I have uh, been a school counsellor prior to all of that. So lots of time in schools and working with teachers, seeing examples of fantastic teaching and adaptations to learning for students. I've stolen a lot of ideas from teachers over the years. <laughs> um, so being able to um, work as a psychologist but also envisage what people are doing with that information mm. in the classroom has been very a helpful link for yeah. me. Benita, that makes you the triple threat if we're <laughs> going to use a, a, <laughs> an entertainment type of metaphor. And Benita, you are um, one of the co um uh, directors here at Fullerton House Assessment Therapy and Teaching. So I'm lucky enough to have you two doors away. Yes. A and we often beat the bushes around issues like we're going to discuss today, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think you are, and this is why I, I'm really interested to talk to you because you're in quite a um, unique position of having like a, a bit of a helicopter view of stuff that goes on. So if, if you're a teacher in a school or, or you're a parent, you know, you've got your own life experience, you've got your own class, but it's rare that you get outside of that. Yeah. It's rare that you go and see how other people might parent or how other people might deal with a situation or what another teacher does or what even what another school does. But you're in the unique position of having kind of, by definition, mm. that big overview and that exposure mm. to all the things. And, and like you say, you've been able to steal things or borrow things from people that you see works, which I think is, you know, so yes. valuable to have that view and that kind of uh, breadth of knowledge and experience with it. So, you know, I can't wait to talk to you today about the stuff that you've learned and maybe some tips that Absolutely. we can pass on for parents I, uh, and teachers. I agree that it's like having a window into, so every time I see a student, I have a window into that child's life at home the classroom with all the information the teacher gives about what's going on, what they're doing for the kid. So, yes, seeing lots and lots of examples of that mm. does build up that that sense of what works. Yeah. yeah, and I imagine a bit of a radar 
of like, you know, you kind of meet people and with your experience, you can probably go, oh, I think I might know what's going on here because you've seen it a lot of times before. That's so true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, maybe let's start by talking about why we are talking about ADHD. Mm. I mean, really, we're talking about learning difficulties in this podcast and generally we've been talking about dyslexia, dyscalculia and dysgraphia as kind of the three recognisable learning difficulties or specific mm. learning difficulties. But we wanted to include ADHD in this because there's a high comorbidity, you know, which means that if you live with a specific learning difficulty, there's a high chance you may live with ADHD as well. And so if we're teachers or parents working with these kids and trying to support them, I think it's important that we understand that Roughly half of these kids mm. or nearly half of these kids are going to be living with ADHD as well, whether it's been identified or not. Um, and I also think it's important because I suspect the strategies that we might use for kids living with ADHD are going to help everyone else as well anyway. Mm. Like the strategies we use for dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, if you use them in the classroom, it's not like it's going to hurt anyone else in the classroom. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? You, you can use the same strategies across the board and support everyone. So I just want to pick up on something you said, Michael. So between four and five out of every 10 kids that walk through our door for a structured multisensory intervention because they have dyslexia are going to have ADHD either diagnosed or not. And that's what we know from, from the research. Is that right? So about 40%. About 40%, yeah. four out of every 10. Okay, yeah. that's, that's huge, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, right. So picking up again, Michael, dyscastia is about specific learning difficulties. ADHD is not a specific learning difficulty, but it's comorbid a lot of the time with them. So that's mm. why we're here, right? Yeah. Okay. And, and it also, even children with ADHD who don't have a specific learning difficulty, they can have learning difficulties that are produced by the symptoms of ADHD. So it still comes in under the need for strategies mm. for learning difficulties, mm. even if it might not be dyslexia or dysgraphia or dyscalculia. Mm. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah, so if you're a parent or you run a classroom, <laughs> yes. this, is a, this is a significant thing to consider, that you know there's going to be kids in your class living with ADHD, uh, whether it's been identified or not, um, and it'd be great if you could provide them that support because mm. not giving them the support is probably not going to be a great outcome for those kids. Well, they're the ones that often are disruptive in the classroom <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when they're not um, feeling like they're successful. Yeah. So okay. before yeah. we dive into the specifics of that, maybe let's take a moment to talk about what, H what ADHD is. So what yeah. is it? What kind of symptoms or, you know, behaviours do we see living with, with ADHD kids? And, you know, how do we identify it? Because I know personally that there's a lot of things that can look like ADHD, you know, anxiety, trauma, these sort of things mm. can produce so similar things. let's put a pin so, in that one yeah, and we'll yeah. come back to that after we okay. look at a definition because that's really important mm. to look at. So don't let me forget. Mm. Yeah. I'll write uh, it down. The ones that can mimic ADHD mm. that are not, that's mm. very important mm. too. That's why it's important to have a professional diagnosis and not just assume from symptoms. Yes. Okay, so we're starting from a base that ADHD is real, it exists, it is not just 
naughty kids or kids who can't pay attention, right? Mm. This is really, really important. It's mm-hmm. it's And that's not bad parenting. No, it's the other one. In <laughs> fact, yeah. All right. So um how does it come about, Benita? So first off, the ADHD stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Mm. And there's a lot of confusion about ADHD versus ADD, mm-hmm. which is attention deficit disorder. And that came about because in the 80s, they changed the name uh, in the diagnostic manual. And there used to be an ADD that encapsulated the, the inattentive only without the hyperactivity or the impulsivity. Mm. But that doesn't actually exist as a diagnosis anymore. You still see ADD referred to by people in the community because it captures the non-hyperactive kind for them. But anytime it's diagnosed, it will always be ADHD within brackets, the kind it is. So it can either be inattentive or it can be hyperactive slash impulsive or it can be both. So then it's called combined type. Mm-hmm. Right. And the way it's diagnosed is with a number of symptoms. So there is a list of symptoms in the inattentive category and in the hyperactive impulsive category, and you've got to get six or more. Mm. So it's a very, the medical diagnosis is very black and white. You either meet the criteria or you don't. Um, There's a whole lot of questions about do all of those symptoms actually encapsulate the experience of ADHD, and that's another question, but the medical diagnosis is um, to do with the symptoms. It also needs to have been, um, for older kids, it needs to have been in existence for more than six months, so it's not just something that's happened because of something in their life Mm. that they've got these symptoms. It needs to have been present before the age of 12, so it's got to be in the developmental period. Mm. Can't just show up as a high schooler. Mm-hmm. Um, and it needs to be present in more than one place. So if they're only showing symptoms in the classroom and there's no symptoms at home, no symptoms in their sports, out in, in any other community activities, then they don't meet the criteria. So what about the parent that goes, my kid doesn't show any ADHD symptoms sitting in front of the computer playing Fortnite? So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've got they to go won't. Here, don't we? Yeah. They won't show symptoms sitting in front of a computer game because a computer game is meeting their need for high stimulation, dopamine producing activity that gives them an adrenaline rush and they are so focused and enjoying that big head rush of excitement, they're going to be focused on that forever. So the game is built to give instant feedback or instant consequence for action mm-hmm. and that consequence and feedback is immediate and that's what over not overcomes the difficulty. Am I so, hearing that, that ADHD matters when a task is hard and the goal is not immediately there Mm -hmm. and the feedback is not immediately there. So where you see the difficulty, absolutely, is when it's something that's not fun. Yep. So you can't use games or 
you know, if they love soccer, soccer is not a good example because they're going to be super focused in soccer. Yeah. If they're not particularly motivated in soccer, you might see them standing on the field looking the other way mm. if they're inattentive kind. But things that are of particular interest and enjoyment to that particular child will be fine. Yeah. Mm. It is the stuff that we all have to do as part of life that is not so fun. And not and immediately gratifying or rewarding. Yeah. So, spelling practice, yep. learning your times tables. You've writing, lost me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> writing in a, a, a recount or a narrative when that's not your favourite thing to do. Yeah. Sticking at it is hard when it's not what you want. Because the goal is way, way out there in the future. So, we tell kids, learn to write an exposition because one day you might be having to convince someone in your job of something and this skill is good, but you see the goal for that, the reward for that is so distant. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm hearing from you is that's different to playing Fortnite because if I do this right now, I get this right now. I don't know Fortnite mm. very well, mm. but uh, computer design, these game designers build in instant reward all the yeah. way through. Action so, and consequence. That's right. Yeah. So, so behaviour is sprinkled with immediate feedback all the mm -hmm. time in these games, but life is different, Benita. So w the reason why the ADHD kid can't do things that just have to be done mm. and doesn't get the the reward from it is because their brain is processing things differently. Yeah. So there's a neurotransmitter called dopamine mm -hmm. that is produced in normal amounts in the ADHD brain, but their brain can't use it in the way that other brains do. And so, in effect, they don't have enough because it doesn't get absorbed by the brain. Okay. Mm. And so, they're always operating with less dopamine than they need. And dopamine is the feel-good chemical that you get that gives you that sense of satisfaction when you finish a task mm. that you needed to do mm -hmm. or you win something or anything good that happens, you get a little burst of dopamine in your brain. And normal people, uh -huh. <laughs> neurotypical people, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, brains that are functioning like the majority of brains, they get the little burst of dopamine from fairly mundane, boring things uh -huh. because that's how the brain is meant to work. Right. You do something that needs to be done and you feel a little sense of Ooh. satisfaction. You feel good mm. about having done it. Tick that one off. Yeah. Mm. So the ADHD brain doesn't feel that. Ah. So is that why? Now, I don't have ADHD, but is that why if I'm facing a big, boring task that I don't want to do, like preparing a PowerPoint presentation for a talk I've got coming up, and then I've got some competing tasks like, oh, I need to answer that email. Oh, I just need to do that. These little jobs. Is that why I'm always more inclined to do those little short jobs? Because I get those little dopamine tick, 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 tick feel goods mm. instead of having to do the big task where the, the reward is a long way off. You certainly do. Right. Mm. You also have other factors though. Okay. Uh, so, particularly looking at the ADHD brain, um, the brain is quick to feel overwhelmed. Mm. So, if it's a big task, the they're not able to mentally imagine the steps to getting to the end and hold it all. Uh -huh. And so it seems big and overwhelming and they can't get started with right. it. So in that case, that's when they will do the other small things to avoid that one because yep. it mm. feels too big. Yep. Mm. Okay. And so, of course, that leads to the, the strategy of breaking it down. Mm. Uh -huh. But you want to break it down in a way that 
is makes them feel it's achievable. So you don't want to break it down and give them a list of 20 steps okay? because it'll still be overwhelming. You All want right. to break it down and give a little bit. And then once they've done a little bit, you'd give a bit more. So there's strategy number one. And this is a strategy that I think works for all of us. If you've got a big job, breaking it down into smaller, seemingly more achievable steps is always, it always increases motivation to water an eventual goal that's right out there. So we're actually building in smaller goal, well, smaller goals into a bigger goal. And, and okay, all right. Manageable, achievable chunks. And that aids motivation because you can see if markers you can pass see you. It's, yeah. You've been successful at the little bits along the way and um, you're getting yeah. the bursts of dopamine for. I'm imagining a road and you, you, see these visible these visible markers as you pass them and that helps you keep motivated toward that bigger goal to some extent right except uh doesn't always work for the adhd brain because your end goal is too far off and Mm. even the short goals unless there's something else in there to give you buy-in uh, it can you can fizzle out yeah. along the way. I was going to say, if those short-term goals are still boring, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. So, uh, just taking a little step back, um, if I'm a parent or a teacher, and my kid or or a kid in the class um, is having difficulties, how do I know when to say, "Hey, I think you should." go and see someone, I suspect this might be ADHD. Like at that kind of day-to-day level, you know. I, I what heard, are you saying in the yeah, class? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And what's, what should be kind of raising some red flags for parents or teachers around saying, hmm, this isn't typical mm. reluctance. You know, every kid is reluctant to get away from their computer game and, mm. do, and do their homework. Like this, you know, we're talking about things that are kind of universal as in everyone gets motivated to do different, you know, lacks motivation and procrastinates to a certain extent and so on. So what kind of separates someone who might be identified with ADHD from your garden variety, you know, I don't dif- want to do difficulty this. with life yeah. or, you know, reluctance to do stuff? So part of it is understanding that human beings generally want to do what they're meant to do. Kids want to please their teacher. They want to do what everyone else is doing. So then... Generally speaking, if they're not going along with the group, there is a reason of some sort. Mm. Um, The ADHD kid will be the one that understands the task, knows all the steps to do the task, but can't get themselves started. Once they get started, they might need help to get the first bit started. And you think, okay, they're off. Nope, they're not off. They'll be... A little bit, say they might write a couple of sentences and then they'll be talking to their friend. So their brain has timed out really quickly, whereas everybody else's brains are able to stick with it and write half a page. Mm. So it's the kid that doesn't produce what they're mentally capable of. Mm. So you see a discrepancy between, hey, this is a really smart kid. They're obviously really bright. They understand the work, but they just don't do it. Yep. And no matter how much pressure I put on them, no matter how many times I tell them off or say, do your homework, do your homework, I keep reminding them, it's water off a duck's back. Mm. It just doesn't happen. Yep. Is that what we're talking about? That kind of scenario. Mm. Whereas you have a kid, a typical kid who might be reluctant to do their homework, but, you know, you put a bit of pressure on or, <laughs> or you say, you know, no TV yep. if you don't do your homework. They are, you know, yep. Okay, they roll their eyes and they sit down and they do it and they get it done. 
but not that doesn't that scenario doesn't quite play out with the kid living with ADHD. So I started to get a flood of people coming for assessments for ADHD when parents had to um, do home learning. And ah. South Australia had, what, three weeks of it. Mm. And suddenly parents were sitting trying to get kids to do work at home and the kid just couldn't do it. They couldn't be left alone. They needed prompting through every small step. Those are the kids that are we're talking about. Kids who've got dyslexia, sure, they struggle with the actual task but can usually stick at it and do a, a job that might be poorly spelt or whatever. Mm. But the kid with ADHD just cannot do it without constant supervision, prompting for each bit. Um, they do all the negotiating with the parents, like, I want to stop now, no, no, just do two more and then you can have a break and, oh, and this is whinging <laughs> and whining and... That is what you're mm. seeing. Yeah. So we have this difficulty with productivity. Mm. So it's a lack of productivity and not even a lack of desire to be productive. So they can- They, they can want they, to. They want to do it and they probably do want to do it, but they just can't. Mm. And we are saying that this isn't just a situational thing. This is persistent and mm. pervasive. So we don't win. Well, I just was thinking about, well, every parent could relate to I've had a kid and I just can't yeah. get the boosters going with them or I start mm. them and they stop. If that happens once or twice, we're not saying that's ADHD. This, Benita, what did you say? This behaviour has to start before 12? Yes, but generally yeah. you would be, and I think that criteria is a bit nonsense really because okay. it really needs to be, you need to see evidence. Uh, when they're little, you see traits when they're toddlers, you see traits when they've started school, they're okay. usually quite... Um, difficult to keep on the carpet they're, in reception. They don't stay in their seat. Um, they okay. don't follow the instructions because they don't remember instructions. Yep. So mm. you see it early, but the criteria is it has to be in before 12. Gotcha. But it is way earlier that you can pick it. All right. Okay. So we have um, productivity, issues yes. with productivity, despite having the knowledge. Mm -hmm. And having the, the want. Yeah. And, and even think, the motivation mm. that finds it difficult. What were you going to say? I think this is a good point to perhaps go back and talk about executive functioning. Yes, oh, okay. okay. Yep. Because that underpins all of it, really. And what is executive functioning? So our brains develop starting from the very back through to the front. So the back's got vision and hearing and the sides have got, you know. Language processing and... and mm. um, aspects of memory mm. and there's the bits down the middle that do lots of important things, but the frontal lobes are the ones responsible for um, planning what you're going to do, organising your thoughts, organising your possessions. Um, I'm imagining the conductor of an orchestra at the front. That's a nice mm. analogy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it's often referred to as like a personal assistant who keeps the boss mm. who's got no skills of their own um, on track with the personal calendar and getting their dry cleaning and mm. organising their life. And You're so, kind of in a voice that says, okay, first got to do this mm. and then i got to do that, then i got to do that. Okay, so let's get started. Holding it all in mind, yep. mm. now knowing what start. you're going to do later. Yep. Yes. Here we okay. go. Let's go. And you sit down and do it. Mm -hmm. But so, so a kid living with ADHD might have those thoughts, but 
then those thoughts disappear and now they're thinking about the thing they can see out the window. Yes. <laughs> Maybe? Is that correct? So what like what so what's the brain there, is you know, not what's... the frontal lobes are not as developed. Mm. So the the research shows it's thirty percent less well developed. So an eleven year old is what like a seven year old. So with ADHD, you can deduct thirty percent. Yes. From their ability to as a rule of thumb, as a rule although of thumb. it does vary, some yeah. kids are more responsible than others. Mm. But... So so can I just dig into that? Mm. So we've got a nine year old. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the the skills of managing tasks, sticking with what's hard, um, you can basically say when it comes to that stuff, if you've got a nine-year-old with ADHD, you're looking at a six-year-old when it comes to those ability, those those abilities to direct your behaviour into the future, hmm. handle big tasks, stick to a task, all that sort of thing. Yes. So, right. So if you're a teacher, you could think, what kinds of supports would a year one student need in order to get work done? The what year level are we talking about there? Year uh, five, year four, year, year five. five yeah. uh, is going to need similar structures in place. They're not going to be just able to be set a task and let go to mm. go do it. Like everybody yep. else is expected to be relatively yep. mm. independent. Yep. So they will conk out. They will yeah. real fast. Yeah, okay. even though they want to do it mm. and know that they'll get in trouble yeah. if they don't. Yep. Mm. And they often are very anxious because they're constantly aware that they're failing to meet expectations and so they're always worrying about it. But the more worried they get, the less their brain can think and and Mm. Mm. problem solve. And the frontal lobes really switch off when you are stressed. So even though they're not well developed to start with, you are not using your frontal lobes at all when you are super anxious. Right. You go to um, your fight or flight responses and you either avoid the task altogether or you swear at the teacher. I've had a few kids recently who've um, sworn at the teacher or thrown the chair or whatever, which Mm. is your fight response to Mm. being asked to do something that stressed them out. So going back to executive functioning, there are these processes that reside in the front or the frontal lobes of the brain, which in a brain development sense are the last to develop because you said the brain develops from back to the front. Um, and the executive functions are probably aptly named because what does an executive do? An executive um, organises activity. Um, so the executive functions could be that inner voice, like Michael said, do this first, then do this. Oh, don't pay attention to that. That's not important. We need to be focused here because there's this goal out there in the future that we're trying to meet. So executive functions, are you saying direct our behaviour toward a goal? That's one of their one of their jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Is that fair enough? Mm-hmm. And if you have ADHD, that ability to direct your behaviour in the short term toward a long term goal is inhibited mm-hmm. by the condition. All right, mm. and that interacts with difficulties with working memory, where you can't hold it in mind in your working memory, and so it's like it you never thought it in the first place. It evaporates completely. So it's not simply that you can't organise yourself no. to the goal, but you may forget the goal in the first place. What you were doing. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the classroom, and the job is to get a half a page written uh, using a narrative structure. And I've got started, and all of a sudden, I see something out of the corner of my eye. Yep. And my mate's got out of his seat, and I think, "Oh, I wonder what he's doing at recess." So, or even why is he out of his seat? And why is he out of his seat? Thinking about that. Okay. Yeah. Let's now take. Let's now go down two possible scenarios. 
The kid with typically developing executive functioning in that moment, what might they say to themselves? In that moment when they have noticed something happening, what will they do? Well, they'll be going, oh, he's going up to sharpen his pencil. Yep. I don't need to be looking at that. I'm going to look back down at my okay. work and keep going. Because if I don't... Uh, I'm I can on. see the teachers looking at me. Okay. So the ADHD kid won't notice the teachers looking at them. <laughs> right. So with typically developing executive functioning, I go, oh, hang on, the task here is important. I'll get in trouble if I don't. Uh, kids do get in trouble if they go off task. I'll talk later to Michael. I know you might is- have a word or two mm. and then you stop. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, and then I remember the task I was on. So I was momentarily pulled away. My attention was pulled away by... Seeing Michael, some thoughts that were associated with seeing Michael, wonder what he's doing at recess. But then because I could hold the task I started with, which was writing in working memory, Mm -hmm. I then can return to that task because I never forgot what I was doing. Yes. And you can also stop yourself from doing something. So you can inhibit a a response. So you might, the typical kid might say a couple words to the kid who's up and then stop themselves Whereas the ADHD kid will start talking and then keep talking. And leave the seat, possibly? And may leave the seat, yes. So I remember working with kids as a teacher that I thought had ADHD, and these kids would um, get out of a seat and cruise. And when I said something like, Michael, you're out of your seat, it was almost like they would look at themselves and kind of, how did I get here? Almost like they had just had no awareness that they'd cruised. Mm -hmm. And that is that living in the moment and not having that sense of time of where you've come from mm. and that um, I was sitting working and now I'm out of my chair and then I need to be sitting back working, that they're living in the, the bit where they're talking to their friend and they're standing up and they're not mentally aware of any of that other stuff. Yeah. And so they can't use that to get themselves back on track. So this is living in the moment and forgetting and that has a lot of implications because it also makes a difference to how they feel. Yeah. So living in the moment, if you're working on a task and you're feeling like this task is easy, I'm doing it well, the teacher's really happy with me, they're going to be motivated and they're going to keep going and mm. um, feel good about it. If they're doing something and they're a bit confused, they don't know quite what the instruction is, that's going to colour the whole task and their sense of self and they're going to go, oh, I'm such a failure at this. Mm. I don't understand what's going on. Everyone else knows what they're doing. And they can't think back to all the other times they've been successful and go, oh, I'm just having a bit of trouble. I'll put my hand up and ask for help. It suddenly is like the be all and end all of life is this failure at this task. So you just brought a a really, an, an, an additional dimension to this, Benita, so the student with ADHD cannot use hindsight, mm. um, a memory of the past, to then direct their behaviour toward the future. Because you know where I'm heading here. I listen a lot to Russell Barkley, who is, or well, once was, one of the world's leading figures and developed what they call the unifying hypothesis of ADHD. And he talked about um, a type of memory where we can visually remember. I think he referred to it as theatre of the mind. So you see in your mind's eye a picture. So this kid cannot see in their mind's eye a time when they had another time when they were confused with work, but then got through it and said to themselves, all right, 
got through it, and then can't use that past information about getting through it to go, it's all right, Bill, um, you, you're confused. You've been confused before you got through it. Just stick to it. They, you, you're telling me that that ability is impaired. Yes, and I don't think it's a lack of ability to visualise things that have happened in the past. Right. I think it's about the working memory and yep. to use things that are in your long-term memory, experiences or facts or math facts or spelling or whatever, mm. you have to pull it out of long-term memory mm. and it has to sit in working memory yep. to use it. Okay. Everything goes through working memory. Yep. It needs to sit in working memory and be processed to get into long-term memory and then to come back out and be used, it's got to sit in working memory again. Mm. So if you don't have a good working memory, you can't pull stuff out when you need it. Mm. And so drawing on those experiences in a timely manner when you need them may not happen. So using your past to inform your behaviour right now becomes a difficult thing if yes. you've got ADHD. Yeah. Okay. okay. So we've got kids being non-productive. We've got kids that are distracted, you know, can't get on a task and stay on a task when something else happens in the classroom. Easily pulled away. Yeah, easily pulled Daydreamy. away. Daydreaming. Yeah. Some We've kids got- are not hyperactive. They're just daydreaming. Yeah. Mm. We've got kids who get up and wander around the class. You know, they don't stay in their chair or they don't stay on the floor where they're supposed to be because they're living in the moment, walking around, doing stuff. I think you mentioned you've heard kids swear at teachers because they go into that fight or flight mode because they get overwhelmed, their anxiety increases and that executive function further disappears and they become, you know, uh, acting on instinct and they feel threatened. So they either withdraw completely or they attack and Mm. fight, try and fight their way out of it because they're in that, you know, kind of fear response. Okay. That is a whole lot of stuff going on for a kid when all we're really asking them to do is write a paragraph of text yes. and all this stuff is happening. Mm. That, that's a very confusing and noisy inner environment for a kid to be working in. Truly, de- like, this is truly impairing. This mm. is debilitating. Yeah. And I think that's, from my perspective, I think just in the general sense, I think ADHD is a little bit trivialised, you know, in mainstream media and when we people talk about it. Cause oh, they, they're just naughty. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's a little bit trivialised, but I yes. actually think it's a big deal. It you know, is. this is a lot going on for a kid. And it's a very complex mm. disorder. It's not one thing. It is many, many things that build together to cause the difficulties. And when People in society look at it, they think trouble with paying attention or trouble with being hyperactive. They don't think of the broad range of things which Mm. we've touched on, like Mm. executive functioning, Mm. um, emotional regulation. And the other part of that, of course, is um, so regulation covers, um, I think, most of it. So you've got Regulating myself. Controlling your emotional reactions is Mm. your emotional regulation. Mm. You are regulating your attention and your focus. So when Bill was talking about it being a a misnamed disorder, Mm. um, it's not a deficit of attention at all. It's a difficulty with putting your attention on the thing that has to be attended Mm. to. Hold on. But it's called attention deficit 
in brackets, hyperactivity disorder, and you are telling us it is actually not about attention in the way we might think it is. Certainly. And who the hell came up with that name, honestly? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and this is something, again, um, that, that Barclay says. Yeah. It's, it's, crea- it's gathered a lot of stigma and a lot of misunderstanding and tr- it's been trivialised because the word attention's in there and people just go, oh, attention, oh, God, that's easy. You're just it's not trying hard enough. Yeah. If you paid attention, yeah. you would be able to do it. Mm. Um, so, so what would we rename it as? If, 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 if the three of us here were given the task of renaming this and giving it a name that people would take it as seriously as they need to, what, what might we call it? Well, you, when we were talking earlier, we were talking about regulation. Mm. I think regulation is a big part of it. Right. But I don't know about how to encapsulate all the bits in mm. one name. Yeah. But certainly, were you saying self-regulation disorder? Well, I was borrowing from Barclay. Yeah. You said something about disorder of self-regulation or... Um, because you're regulating emotion, you're regulating attention and focus, and you're also regulating your sensory experience. Mm. And that is very much an overlooked part of ADHD that underpins a lot of the overstimulation and overwhelm that happens is to do with sensory processes. Okay, can we go back to the kid writing the persuasive text? And we started off with the kid who um, is t- typically developing and they have those regulating abilities. Mm-hmm. Their friend Michael gets out of their seat. That creates a momentary distraction. They're they're pulled away from what's in front of them. They look at their friend Michael and Benita, you said they might say, G'day, Michael, uh, catch it recess. But then they can return to task because they've held in working memory the task. All right, let's go for the kid who does not have or is, is delayed in those abilities, and we call that ADHD. What happens for that kid? What breaks down goes wrong? So... Uh, to tie in the sensory processing and sensory regulation side of it, mm. they're sitting there with their paper and their pen. And so people with ADHD can be oversensitive to some stimuli and mm-hmm. undersensitive to other stimuli. Uh, and that varies the particular combination of what they've, their se- sensitivities or their um, seeking Uh, is different for every kid. Mm. But let's just take an example. If you're sitting there with your pen, you might be noticing that the lumps on the irregular-shaped pencil are poking into your fingers and you're trying to ignore the feel of the pencil. Or you're, you know, noticing the scratchy feel of the lead on the paper. Mm. At the same time, you're hearing the clink and clank of the classroom around you and other kids talking and voices are particularly distracting. So any words that are said will be what that kid is focused on and not on what they're doing. They might have bright fluoro lights that are visually Mm. um, overstimulating. An air conditioner humming. An air conditioner humming. So being able to tune out, the average neurotypical person can tune out distractions and not notice them. Benita, is it tune out or not behave toward it? Because I'm going back to what Barclays talked about. He said there is, if you're typically developing, you may notice the air conditioner momentarily or the kid moving or the voices. And he said there then needs to be an inhibitory response that says don't behave toward that thing. 
And he said, in a, if I understood him correctly, he said, he, with with a typically developing brain, the it happens so fast that you're not aware of gotcha. it. Gotcha. So but this yes, is all. It's a micro process. Okay. So your brain registers new stimuli. So yep. if there's, if you come into the room and there's a new sound, like the air conditioner is yep. in the room and not outside, yep. you'll first notice it, your brain will notice it, but you may not be consciously aware. Gotcha. But then it continues on and you tune it out. Okay. So people, if you ask them, the average person will have not noticed it was there at all. Gotcha. But their brain has registered it. And said that's not important. It's not relevant. Yeah. So it's not salient. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But so, the, yeah. So the, but the student with ADHD, um, that mechanism isn't working and they will notice that, pay attention to it, and sometimes behave toward it, talk about it, move to it. So some some people, like adults are really, adults with ADHD are very interesting to talk to because they've had time to really come to terms with how their brain is processing stuff. Yeah. And I see adults in my practice who've come for a diagnosis later mm. in life and they'll describe having... Um, it's all noise, all the stimuli is coming in at the same intensity and it becomes a mash of different sounds and they can't tune any of it out and ignore any of it. Mm. And so if you imagine a kid in class and all that's going on and they're trying to do work, the longer they're in that environment, the more um, dysregulated their system becomes and the more likely they are to do something to try to regulate and so things like getting up and moving around let out the nervous Mm. energy Mm. that may have built up built up built up because of the task and so Mm. it's like an escape yeah escape hatch (laughs) i gotta get away from this desk and away from this table because this is too much Mm. yeah that's interesting see i'm an adult living with adhd and i remember back to when i was a kid and what you're talking about kind of rings true. Like I can understand um, the theory of describing why that happens. But for me being inside that, those processes are not going on. You know, I'm so not what are sitting, you noticing? There, I'm what not are you sitting noticing? there trying to get my work done because mm-hmm. I might get into trouble. Mm. You know what I mean? And thinking I want to come back, focus on this. It's happening at a very subconscious mm-hmm. level. And so it, there isn't this kind of meta-awareness no. of my own behaviour. And that is, I'm just in, in fact, there the problem. There is no meta-awareness yeah, for these people. Uh-huh. So I don't know that I've got distracted. No. You, just you know find what it, I mean? You like just find it, yourself out of your seat. Yeah. And, or, yeah. and it's interesting and I go over there and I And what you're doing is not particularly and, interesting and talking to that person's really interesting. Exactly. Like, this mm. is boring. So I'm going to draw back. a picture on my hand and get yeah. my little... I always used to, like, play with my fingers and draw things and get do little plays and stuff because I think... It was way more interesting. So it was more about the pain of boredom, mm. the, the tedium of doing a task that oh, it's mm. even describing it now, I'm mm. feeling that sense of frustration and anger of like, really, you want me to write that? It's just so overwhelming to think that you want to do that difficult thing that it's not a choice. Mm. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm going to put my hand in that fire mm. and get myself burnt uh. when I could just go over there and relax. And <laughs> you, so it's not quite, you know, I no, think. It isn't. You're it, right. It, it's it's um, such. And yet the, the kid at the themselves same time. doesn't have a choice about this. No. So I think that's no. what's important to understand. It's that's not right. 
bad behavior. No, 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 no. It's not like I'm sitting here. You know, we were describing then about a kid who kind of thinks oh, I'll get into trouble if I don't do this, so I'd better focus back onto my task. Living with ADHD, none of those things. That voice is not uh, there it, it or not, it's very I'm quiet. I'm not thinking I'm going to get yeah. into trouble. I don't, I don't even care because this moment is so painful for me mm. to have to write this sentence that yes. I'll do anything to escape from it. Mm-hmm. Like, that is uh, that you know, living getting, in the moment getting difficulty. Hit, getting hit down the track, you know, because when mm. I was a kid, I got hit a mm. lot. Getting hit down the track played no part in deciding whether I'm going to do that task or not. So you can't even anticipate getting hit down the track in that moment. You're not even thinking about not it. Not even thinking about well, it. Well, even yeah. if you were Just thinking about it, it would be of no relevance it, at all because it wasn't giving you the immediate yeah. result. So yeah. the joy of doing whatever you're doing would be greater. It would be giving you the hit you need of dopamine that you would be happy to accept the hit down the track because oh, um, you've got the reward now. It's a way up. Like, but not a, yeah. it is, but no. it isn't. Yeah. So it, it's true. Yeah. It, yeah. For me, it was a way up. Yeah. Because, and I think this is, I think this is an important thing to think about for kids living with ADHD is that because of that lack of regulation and just that impulsive, I'm going to do it. Like I'm not making a decision or necessarily having a choice about whether I get up and walk around because it just happens. Mm. Like this is just what I'm doing, like mm. breathing, you know what I mean? So not like I'm choosing this bad behavior. You do these things. You get in, this is my experience, you do these things, you get into trouble, and in my day that was usually get, getting caned or, mm. or hit, so like a, quite a serious consequence. Mm. Um, and then you think to yourself, oh, why did I do that? I'm so stupid. Oh, the like, regret. I'm, I'm, not, I'm never going to do that again, right? Because that was horrible. I don't want to get hit again. I'm never going to do that again. Literally 30 seconds later, I do it again. Mm. And I go, oh, why did I do that again? Like, so it's yes. not like... There's a choice. It's in not it. planned. It, it, it just it's happens, not planned, right? It because your planning yeah. functions in your brain are not doing it. <laughs> oh, They're not working. Right. It just happens, and yeah. so then you get the hit. And you know, for me, those negative consequences didn't work. And you jokingly said it's a price you're happy to pay. I did actually get to a point. I think it was year nine, where I thought, hold on a sec. All that's going to happen if I do the wrong thing is I'm going to get hit, and I get hit. All the time anyway, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. Oh, it lost its deterrent effect, Michael. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, I get, I get, when I try my hardest, I get hit. When I don't try, I get hit. Whatever. It's just a thing. I'm just going to do what I want. So there are teachers <laughs> listening right now, and thanks for sharing that, Michael. That's actually that's, that's profound, and it's so interesting to get, a, to get that insight. So there are teachers listening now, and I'm a teacher, so I'm going... What does this then mean for the management mm. of this? What does this mean for consequence? Because if I um, I could easily be sitting here going, oh, it's not the kid's fault. There's no point. There's no point with consequential management because the kid has no control over this. But then I remember back to what Russell Barkley says about this and he goes, oh, no, 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 no. He says we actually need to sprinkle kids experience with consequence but immediacy is the important thing so if we think back to the kid playing Fortnite, consequence being a result of something we'll call you were too slow you got shot yeah you're dead. that's right mm. consequence is sprinkled out in a second by second thing barclay says no we actually need to bring more consequence into these kids lives um 
but more immediate. What, I would uh, like to thinking? talk about consequence in a more general sense, yeah. not mm. in terms of punishment. No, no, no. I, because that's what I'm thinking as well. When people talk consequence, they mean like, punishment. Yeah. Okay. I'm, when I say consequence, I look at it morphologically. This mm. SEQ comes from sequence. A consequence is the next thing that happens in a time sequence after you do something. Mm-hmm. So, it's what comes next. Yes. So, I'm not talking about punishment. So, psychologists yeah. call that reinforcement. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And you, whatever happens straight after will either reinforce you doing it more or discourage you from doing it. Uh, but for the ADHD kid, the best consequence is working on the positives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of things, not just give them a, a reward, like a concrete thing mm. that's could be one thing, mm. but feeling successful is one of the biggest motivators. So the consequence of doing the task, I feel like I'm a capable student and I did it really well. Mm. So giving immediate feedback on the task that's positive. Benetti is stuck to that for five minutes. I know it's hard. It's great to see. Keep going. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um, and using timers yep. for younger kids mm. can be handy yep. because um, it gives them a sense of this is how long it's going to be. And a visual one that shows the there's ones that have red, a red chunk that mm. disappears slowly as the time mm. runs out. It's right. a really clear way of showing I've only got this much time left and then getting some kind of mm. in in. The teacher coming over and doing something, talking to them about what they've done, praising them, adding mm. them to the the reward Pin system, move or whatever, whatever, whatever you do, table point, marble mm-hmm. jar. Okay, so lots sprinkled. Yes, yep. consequences sprinkled, but positive. Yes, consequences. Yes, mm. as much as possible. Okay. Obviously, there are times when a more negative consequence is needed for something serious, uh-huh. but. The ADHD brain is motivated by feeling successful, getting rewards, and it's all got to be really short term. About okay. getting dopamine. Yeah. Right. So we've got to produce the dopamine. We don't have the dopamine. That's and right. so let's give them the dopamine they need to stay on task. Mm-hmm. Now, here's just relating what we were talking then about something you said earlier. The idea that when you're in that fight or flight state, the executive function that we've talked about goes out the window. So if we do look at a circumstance where you're threatening a punishment for behaviour, and I think of that as escalating, raising the stakes around your behaviour. Like so, so if I go, Michael, this is the third time I've spoken to you about being out of yep. your seat. If I need to speak to you again, I'm going to have to move you. Yeah. Do this or else. Yeah. If, if you get out of your seat again, you'll be staying in at recess time. Right? Okay. You say that to me, I go, I don't want to stay in at recess time, right? I go, maybe not fully, but a bit into that fight or flight uh, mindset. I've just lost another chunk of my executive function. It makes it more likely that I won't be able to control my behaviour. Michael, there are so many variables in this picture, though. My relationship (laughs) with you as the teacher, my my past history of following up reasonably and fairly with you, Mm -hmm. or last time did I scream at you. But, okay, we'll just keep going. Yeah. And also you've got things that will work short term. So that threat of losing the recess might work that time and Mm -hmm. you get suddenly more out of that kid. But if you do that every time, 
the kid can't sustain it because mm. it's beyond the focus capacity. So unless you've done all the other things of scaffolding it and mm. breaking it down and giving the rewards, they're not going to be able to stick at it to get it done without intervention. So they're going to lose their recess. And as soon as they start losing their recess, they'll do what you were talking about earlier, which is there's no way of winning this, so why bother yeah, in the first exactly. place? Exactly. Who and needs recess? They won't even start <laughs> the task. So, so the kid lose, loses hope that they'll ever get recess. Yep. Because I just want to say from the outset, there are people who say that we should never keep kids in in break times, and and I, mm. and I and I and don't, particularly not the ADHD kid who right. needs the mental break. I, I I I do and don't subscribe to that because I yeah I mean. People have lost court cases in the UK over this whole idea of keeping kids in. Now, I believe- From which side have they uh, lost? It's been, school's been challenged and lost okay. because on, on the kid's human right to, mm-hmm. to, to, have, go, to have a break, right? Mm-hmm. So, I understand it's a problem if it becomes chronic. You get that kid. So, you get that kid, little Billy, never gets out to assess. I don't believe, though, that- I'm not going to sit here and say that that is an inappropriate consequential act. You know, there are plenty of times we say to kids, this needs to be done in your time or else, Benita- Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, this needs to be done now and certainly or else it'll be done later. Older kids who actually have to get tasks done, yep. there might need to be other methods yep. in place. But I wouldn't for year four and below do that. And okay. I do see some kids who are kept in right. and are in four days out of five now that's in a, at recess. No one would no one would disagree that that tells you that consequence is ineffective. Yes. Yep. So part yeah. of what you're looking at is feedback on the strategy you've used and is it working? Gotcha. Mm. Mostly that kind of thing won't work well for the ADHD kid because they're just yeah. not able. But if it does, if it's a motivator and suddenly the threat of no recess, yep. they get five pages written, beautiful. Yeah. It's yeah. been, it's brought the the urgency, talking about urgency of a task and yeah. making it life or death, um, that can up the raise the stakes, the yeah, stakes. Raise the stakes and yeah. if it, that is what that kid needed great mm. but if you are finding that the kid's losing recess yeah that's all the bad. time well that that yeah. is a problem so it's we need to, to be, be a preventative of the problem yeah. and mm. not just okay you're getting the consequence again because you've done the behavior again yeah. and we mm. just go in and go on and go on yeah yeah. So we're in behaviour modification aren't we yeah we are in that zone they call BMOD or behaviour modification and what we're saying is BMOD is always um, a combination of, for lack of a better term, sticks and carrots. Mm. Benita, you said um, if you've got a brain that is having trouble with this self-regulation stuff, like timers can help, helping kids break big tasks into small and if the teacher's got a good relationship with the kid, even just saying, Benita, I just, mm. I've watched you stick to that. Well done. Let's see another three minutes and then I'll come over and talk to you again. So doing that sort of thing, that can have an effect. Um, however, there are times when a teacher might go the stick option, not not physically, mm. but Benita- <laughs> Carefully yeah. chosen <laughs> and in a small, yeah. small quantities. So, we can't go overboard with either. Well, okay. Um, all right. I'm just, I'm just trying to so, take- I'm taking a teacher hat to this as so well. Relationship teachers, so, relationship yeah. is your biggest tool. Yeah. So, working early on in the year to help the child feel that they can trust you, that you're going to be fair. Yeah. And reasonable, reasonable, mm. clear yeah. on your expectations. Yep. Uh, help them if they're not able to do something because it's tricky for their brain mm. yeah. to not just go off, oh, you know, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, but actually help them. So you develop all of that 
a positive relationship with the kid, that kid will work twice as hard for you as they will for the teacher mm. next door who doesn't have that relationship with you. Mm. So the relationship is, is really 99% of the, the thing that yeah. will help with working with that kid. Okay. So a little voice in my set, a little self-regulatory voice said to me, we have gone down a rabbit hole of basically behaviour management, which is mm. we can't neglect it. And a lot of this does apply to many kids. It does, not doesn't just, it? Yeah. That's right. But it's the for the ADHD kid, it's amplified a hundred times. Yeah. These things will make all the difference. Gotcha. Compared to other kids who might, you know, not need it quite right. as much. So a little voice in my head says we now need to go back toward this and how this impacts. We wanted to get to a task like reading. Before we do, I just want to summarise, teachers, we're not saying don't use consequence because Barclay actually said, and we've agreed, it's about ramping up consequence. But when we say consequence, we mean either positive or negative consequence, but it's just about putting in, sprinkling into that kid's life Mm-hmm. Many short terms. You're on the right. You're mm-hmm. on the right track, or good on you, or keep going, or whatever. So, yeah, and uh, yeah. also making tasks that are going to naturally trigger dopamine in the kid's brain. So tasks that are meaningful and interesting. Yes. So teachers who are doing bookmaking instead of narrative writing uh-huh. have really hit the jackpot because I see the kids with ADHD go, oh, I love writing. We're doing bookmaking and it's amazing. And they might not write as much as their um, buddies do, but they are so keen. Mm. It's like, mm. wow. But you ask them to just write a boring um, page of text, yeah. no motivation. So there are parts of that task yeah. that really get motivated so by. So the way you pitch a task will make a difference to the interest. And as soon as they're interested, they will do way more, stick at it, focus on it. Mm. So this is the flip side of the coin, isn't it? Because we've been describing all the things that you might see in a kid living with ADHD that are, are kind of, you know, maladaptive or negative in a classroom environment. You know, they're not being productive. We're talking about a lot of negative things here. Yeah, yeah. But- The thing about ADHD is that there's a flip side to that where when these kids do get motivated, they are hyper-focused. Like, they go like crazy and can do it. And, you know, speaking from personal experience, if I find something that interests me, my problem is not doing it. Uh My problem is stopping myself from doing it. You know, it's all I want to do. It's all I think about. You know, yes, that might wear off. You know, so people who know me will see that I'll get obsessed with something for a few weeks till that dopamine stops. And then it's like, uh, I'm not interested in that anymore. You know, so there is a little bit of that. But to try and harness that in a kid, this is where I'm leaning against the negative consequences because they are, I think, demotivating. Mm. You know, I'd like to think a kid is getting into it like how do i get this kid into this task and of course that's what teachers want they want to see all their kids into the task yeah but learning the joy of it Mm -hmm. not all kids are going to be into everything no you know what i mean and so that's where so you're doing something that's if when you can make something fun and Mm -hmm. i i know that bill is not a fan of inquiry learning 
Um, only because I come from a specific, only because I see kids with specific learning difficulties <laughs> yes. who don't have the necessary underlying mm. skills down, no. and they suffer. And yeah, so, so inquiry learning um, needs to be well scaffolded so and, that it's yeah. not an open ended, broad task that you just go for. And there it is needs lots of small yes. chunking, okay. but. The ADHD brain loves the inquiry work, particularly gotcha. if there's a little bit of choice. Yeah. So you're going to mm-hmm. do animals. You're going to do water animals. You can pick which water animal excites you and you can research all about it. And that is really motivating, mm. assuming that there's a water animal you like. Yeah. <laughs> well, what if the kid doesn't know where to start on the research? Well, that's you need to scaffold it. Okay. You need to help them work out what they're going to cover, yeah. where they're going to find information, then we've got when we get to reading, yeah. we've got the issues with reading comprehension that right. might come in. But you need to support the task, remembering uh, that the executive functioning of an eleven-year-old is like thirty percent. It's thirty percent less, so it's yeah. like mm. a junior primary kid. So yeah. I go, Benita, start with this book. Yeah, here's the first question. Yep. All you have to do is think about this, mm-hmm. answer this. Find and they've done okay. that. You give them the next bit. Okay. And gotcha. I can focus on that bit. Yeah. You give me all 10 questions at once. And I was like, oh, that sounds too hard. I'm my, yep. I conk out. Go, yep. go draw some pictures in my book instead. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So trying to make it engaging for mm. the brain is really important. Yeah. But then all the things you've got that you've just got to do, like you've got to practice spelling. Yeah. You've got to do maths practice. That's really repetitive and boring for a lot of kids. So that's where your artificial rewards come into it. They give the extra little bit of lift to mm. the motivation. It doesn't always work for every kid, but mm. so earning your your class points or having do this much of this and then you can play a quick math game on the iPad mm. or yeah. uh, listen to a song on your iPad. Mm. Yeah. iPads are really handy for mm. the fun activities. Um, read a quick picture book, Yeah, something they want to do, that makes, it's like um, putting sugar with your medicine. It makes mm. doing the bad thing mm. yeah. more acceptable. Okay. So that's one way to up mm. yeah. the motivation. The okay. other way is to, a lot of ADHD kids are quite competitive, mm. but often that discourages them because they can't get the um, high scores yeah. or the, mm. you know, move up the leaderboard with their times tables practice. But they really, really want to be the winner. So if you can build in a competitive element, mm. say with personal best, that you're aiming to beat your own personal best or some other way of measuring um, competition mm. that works for that kid, mm. that will motivate them to do something that's super boring just because they will get... Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. They get a, they get a the, kick. The kick from um, the competition element. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when I was saying before, um, you know, about getting them into something, I wasn't talking about making it fun. Yep. So I'm not talking about let's make this boring task fun. We're not into edutainment. This isn't about turning a boring task into something that's fun. No. It's about getting someone motivationally engaged. Mm. And you can get someone motivationally engaged with something that is really hard. Mm. And repetitive. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be mm. always novel, stimulating tasks. No. I spent a, a long time, you know, working as an animator, like animating stuff. That is an incredibly mm. boring, at the heart of it, 
repetitious task. You know, you yeah. move something one frame, it moves this little bit, one frame, moves this little bit. Like it's very repetitious and boring, but I was into it. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And part of being into it is the challenge and the reward of getting that hard chunk of stuff done. done. So yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to be like a, you know, a no. video game glitzy, no. entertaining so thing. Like We're that, not talking no. about that kind of no. engagement, but it's more the motivation to do it. Is that uh, the word achievable keeps coming into my head? Yeah, achievable. Yeah, but interest based. Yeah. Interesting. And you can't necessarily there's you can't predict. You have to know yeah. that kid, yes. and that's part of the relationship. Yeah. What's going to engage their interest? Mm. So if I'm working with a kid, you know, let's say we are doing, you know, a, a repetitive task and that kid, you know, identified or not, I think, you know, they're, they're going to have difficulty with this. <laughs> I usually put a tight time frame around mm. them. Mm -hmm. So I have a timer, like yep. you say, and I say, look, this is only going to be five minutes. I know this is boring and that this is going to be painful. That's only going to be five minutes. So. Aren't you priming an expectation <laughs> that it's going to be boring and painful? Though? Uh, that's well, important because yeah. then they're not expecting it to be fun. If I think that's a good thing. If it okay. already is. Mm. All right, so like, we, I know being this, honest about this it. isn't the first time I've spoken to a kid. Okay, because <laughs> yeah. So they're not thinking everyone else thinks this is okay. a fun task. This is task. hard work. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. hard for everybody. It's going to be hard work for you. But it's only five minutes. Because I, like I just it. hear this yeah. is going to suck. I'm sorry about making you do this. And I see that have an opposite effect yeah. on some kids. But anyway, keep going. Well, you yeah. have to know your kid. Yeah, That's this is the true. Thing. Yeah. Some kids it won't. All right. Yeah. Far away, So Michael, I sorry. think this is hard work, Bill. Yeah. Yep. This is gonna, this is, I know that this is hard for yep. you because yep. I'm doing a dictation or Good. something yep. that you, you know, big cognitive overload, a yep. lot of stuff for you to do. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't really talked about kids living with dyslexia or dyscalculia or dysgraphia yet added to ADHD, uh -huh. you know, Ooh. makes that task harder. Gotcha. And so I set a time limit. We say there's only five minutes. Yeah. What I want you to do first is relax because uh -huh. I don't want them in fight or flight. Yeah. I don't want them feeling that time pressure and reducing that executive function. Relax and focus. That's the kind of mantra. So I give them time. I yep. say, Bill, take your time. Get relaxed, and some kids do that. You know, they, they put their fingers together and pretend they're meditating, <laughs> but they're, they're actually doing it. You know, they're actually going, Okay. And I say, You ready? You focused? Hit, go, and we focus. Uh -huh. You know, we do that. The time goes off, and then at the end of it, we have a break. Uh -huh. And I've got fidget toys, blah, 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 stuff mm -hmm. they really like. We talk about it, but I also add the level of importance to it. Uh -huh. So I say, I know this is hard, but. This is just something you've got to do if you're mm -hmm. going to learn to read. Yeah, yeah okay. So like, other factors that are know? working for you there is that you're nearby. Yes. So having the adult in close proximity is helpful. Um, and there's actually a thing about working alongside others mm. um, that is quite a thing for adults with ADHD too. Working at, doing it alone is never going to go as well as... Mm. Um, feeling accompanied mm. by somebody else. And it, so having it, the teacher check in regularly and and just see how it's going, just feel like they're aware of what you're doing and you're not in it alone. Is that mm. almost like outsourcing your frontal lobe? Yeah. Like all of a sudden that other person helps you pace, helps mm -hmm. you, yep. basically lends you their executive functioning by being there and reminding and... That is certainly one way of describing it that yeah. I've seen um, mm. used before. Yeah, okay. You hit and, it. Yeah. And in, in that one-on-one... -on -one, it's kind of easy. Yeah. You know what I mean? In a one-on-one -on -one situation, 
even in that five minutes, you know, even when we prime like that and do that focus and so mm. on, they still get distracted. And But I just gently bring it back in. I just say, hey, it's only three minutes to go. Stay here. You, we can talk about that afterwards. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it, it doesn't. But you can do that in the class by sitting that kid closer to the teacher. Yeah. No. It's and harder can, in a class, it's though, It's way isn't harder. It? So how do yeah. you do that kind of intense thing, you know, where mm. I'm talking to a kid, I can see when I've lost them. Mm. If I'm talking to 30 kids, that's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. So what are some strategies in a classroom that might kind of help this? Doing the task with their mate. Mm-hmm. That can backfire if they're um, going to talk instead of working. Mm-hmm. But sometimes sitting and actually being able to talk to their friend about the task and not being told off for talking and if, as long as they're actually doing the task, means if, that they can uh, go, so what was that instruction again? I've completely forgotten what the, or what does that say on the board there? I can't quite make it out. Okay. So yep. having a buddy can help. What if that's Because the teacher the can't ki- be there checking in no. the whole time. Mm. Okay. Teacher voice goes, mm-hmm. what if that's distracting the kids next to them? What if that's during a silent task? Uh, I, I, I'm, yeah. just, I'm being a pain, but mm. I'm- this is this good is important. Because, yeah. because we want to improve yeah. the situation for these kids. Yeah. So that's where I would use the timer uh-huh. and say, I want you to do this for the five minutes as quietly as you can yeah. and try and get to this point of the task. So mm. do three sentences yeah. by the time the timer goes off. Yeah. Aim for three or aim for two. Mm. So you want to aim for something that's going to get – uh, success. Gotcha. <laughs> that's not going to feel too big. Yep. Um, something that's going to help them tune in. So yep. your timer thing, great for quiet work time. Help them manage time. Yep. Yeah. And just make it feel like it's not just going to stretch on forever. <laughs> yeah. Because right. lessons feel really, really long to students. Like a bottomless A school pit. day feels like a year. Yeah. So um, making time feel short mm. makes the brain feel less overwhelmed yeah those little chunks you yeah. know i say mm. to kids the most we will go without a break is 15 minutes yeah and, and i listen you to know, that and then we'll have a break and i go oh, i don't have a fidget spinner in sight in my room and you know and i don't and this is just a difference in practice so michael and i put the same demands on kids don't we we were we were you know, our intervention playberry tier three we go through the same mm. thing and and i'm thinking maybe i should for some kids i just don't know this is well mm. What you're doing is interactive, so mm. there is something going on the whole time. Okay. It's interesting you say that. So I look over Michael's shoulder and I see that in an intervention there's a predictable sequence. Mm-hmm. Alphabet work, phonological work, the car drills, re- 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 um, revision of a previously taught teaching point, new teaching point, game. Mm-hmm. Lots it's of always, short. All, yes, mm. kids, are, we're moving fairly quickly between stuff. And, and you show them that structure. They I, know that they structure. They know. They know, and we mm-hmm. stick to it yep. religiously. Yes. And then I watch um, kids in schools that are big on science of reading, and they've got just the same number of kids with ADHD and all sorts of other difficulties in the room. And I watch this. It's a very good point because that's approach. not necessarily fun. Doing no, those not. drills is not fun, no, and yet a, those kids are engaged in what's happening. That's what I'm seeing, and mm-hmm. I and I hear teachers say. But it's interactive. So the teacher's right. standing there, they're all doing it together. Yep. It's not this long stretch of time where they're meant to be doing something all on their own ah. that they've got to manage executive functioning. So it's the happening te- gotcha. quickly and the ADHD brain likes to move quickly. Right. So is this why I will have principals go to me 
a few years into a very structured way of teaching literacy, for example, as I send Michael, I'm getting excited. My hands are going everywhere. Right? You should see it. Um, you're just going to have to imagine it. Um, principals are saying to me and teachers are saying to me, uh, we are getting far more out of kids in this part of the day, which is around uh, highly structured, highly explicit teaching, where those things are happening. There's a there's a uh, there's a drill. There's a drill component of graphing phoneme correspondence. Then we move to a uh, to a drill where kids are using whiteboards, writing a word. Then do a heart word drill. But the kids are moving and they're being taken through a predictable sequence, and they're going. See that kid over there? Could not sit still before we did this, rolling around the place under a table and they go, you couldn't spot them now. What's going on? And I know you can't teach like that all day either. That's a part of the day. What's happening for these kids? What's, what, why are these kids performing better in that situation? Well, part of it is what you already, we talked mm-hmm. about with short chunks. Okay. And immediate feedback. Right. And, mm. and it, I think it's structure. Mm-hmm. Right. Like uh, the... If you imagine the ADHD brain struggles with that executive functioning of like, I don't know what to do next or what sequence to do it in. Mm. By providing that structure, I don't have to work. I don't have to. Takes all the the effort out of it and you just have to do the thing. I don't Mm. have to think about what I'm supposed to do next or what the teacher just said or what I'm just in Mm. the groove. Right. Like in that state of flow and I know what's going to come next. So there's no anxiety about it. It's uh just... I've got this structure. For me, living with ADHD, structure is everything. I'm talking everything. So, in my morning routine, yeah, <laughs> you know, this is rather personal. No. But my morning routine, because I have such a poor sense of time, like you know, I I can get lost in something, and I'm not joking. A day, a whole day will go by, uh, and I haven't got up from my chair because I'm into something, right? Uh, so structure for me is important if I want to be somewhere on time. So I have a set routine in the morning, and it's so set that I don't have to think about it. I just automatically do it like a muscle memory. I do this, I do this, I do this. And I it takes this. roughly the same amount yeah. of time, and you get to the end of exactly. it, and it's the right time to leave. Uh, exactly, and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I haven't even looked at my watch, but. I know that when I get out of the shower, it's roughly I'm going to be on time because I've done everything in the sequence, right? So you set your environment up to be your executive function. Yes. Okay, here you go. Now- No, routine has routine. become- It's yes. taken over. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's habit. Yes. Developing good habits. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has yeah. happened for you. So, so, so your environment cues you all the way through. Yes. Right. So I've got mm-hmm. that structure. And even though this is, you know, me as an adult, think about this as a kid in a classroom. Yeah. Because that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, Those it structured is. sessions mm-hmm. where yeah. it's like, I know what's going to happen. So it's such a relief mm. to go, I don't have to have all this all this stuff in my head thinking about what do I have to do next and so on. Ah. And so it cuts down that amount of executive kind of chatter that's yeah, going yeah. on. I can and focus. All humans create routines. Yeah. If you haven't got a good one in place, then the kid will develop a routine that's not effective based on, you know, what they feel. So they mm. might come in and not unpack their bag and they might, you know, go off and sit in the reading corner or whatever. Go into and the tent. And they become set in a routine of the unhelpful strategies yeah. mm-hmm. or in the morning with the morning routine, getting ready for school, set into the routine of the unhelpful. St- it becomes a routine regardless. Yeah. It's hard to break. Uh-huh. And then it, it's hard to break, but... Your brain 
loves routine and it creates routine. It's yeah. just about whether it's going to work well for you or not yeah, work well right. for you. That's right. And then for me, something goes wrong. Out of mm-hmm. routine, like Throws my the whole thing. shoes weren't in the spot that they are always in. Or Bill rings you. Yeah, or Bill <laughs> rings me, right? A goodbye whole morning. <sighs> like- Throwing the whole sequence chaos. out. Yeah. It's like I stand in the room and I have no idea what to do next. Okay. You know what I mean? So it's I it's kind of like a really um complex house of cards mm-hmm. is how I imagine it. And you know, if I'm working on a project or something and I imagine this in a kid in a classroom, you know, they've got a project or something to work on, pull out one of those little cards and the whole thing falls apart. And you right. go I just don't know what to do next. So <laughs> because you, the right. whole structure has gone. So yeah. I think that a, yeah. I think the trick is to provide that reliable, solid structure and routine, not just on a day-to-day basis or a lesson-to-lesson basis, but for a task. Huh. Uh, you know, don't assume a kid knows how to do a task or can plan out the steps involved in a task. I wouldn't say plan it for them. But sit down and plan it with them mm. and say, here's the sequence. Yeah. Do this you know, and come back soon. Monday, it. you're going to do this. Yeah. And even have some what ifs there, you know. But if you get busy Monday, then we've got a little bit of time for you to do this on Tuesday. You know what I mean? So that kind of executive functioning that people who don't live with ADHD can do on the fly, yeah. I think needs to be kind of made solid mm. for these kids. And it teaches them too, I think, you know, doing that. Mm kind of routine for years yeah. makes mm. the builds a little bit of confidence. Hey, maybe I can do this. What about visuals like checklists? Oh, checklists are great. You've got to see it. Yeah. Holding it in your working memory, it may be there or it may not be there, but yeah. if it's on something concrete, whether it's paper or whether it's electronic. Yeah. It's got to get in their way. It's got to be something that you can look at. Yeah. And so, not lose. So the parent of the kid yeah. with ADHD, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. The, the parent of the kid with ADHD goes, um, if I don't step my kid through the morning routine mm. from getting out of bed to putting on your clothes to brushing your teeth to having breakfast, perhaps not in that order, yeah. um, my kid will get lost. I'll have a kid with one sock on, yes. one shoe in their other yeah. hand, staring at the TV. Mm-hmm. And I remember when, now none of my kids have ADHD, but even with my kids who, as far as I know, were neurotypical, I remember teaching my kids morning routine and I had to be up before them and ready so I could stand at the kitchen desk and direct, the kitchen bench and direct traffic. Now you've done that, do this next. And the TV was off. But I was thinking even with kids without difficulties of executive. Well, they're still developing their executive function because they're children. Yeah. And I had to go do this and come tell me you've done it. Now do this now. We got got them into a routine. Mm -hmm. And I feel so like how hard is that for a parent with a kid? Yes. Who doesn't have the internal regulating. So a lot of parents I see who say the morning routine is so difficult don't have a visual checklist. Gotcha. So my first Mm -hmm. suggestion would always be write it down. You might then take it up a notch by putting sticky notes or a little note in the bathroom yeah. that says, now that you're in this room, you brush your teeth, brush mm. your hair. Great idea. Deodorant mm. if yeah. you're a teenager. Mm. And yeah. then um, sticky note on the fridge, you need to get your fruit snack out, mm. you need to get your mm. lunchbox, your drink bottle. Then you might have another list by the front door before you leave the house. Make yeah. sure you've got your hat, mm. your school bag, your device with its charger, whatever it is mm. that you are likely to forget. 
I um, love the idea of those situational ones. Yes. Yeah. And then you can have one on your bag tag, on your school bag, have a little list of things that need to come home at the end of the day. Mm. Make sure you've got your reader. Make sure you've got your device. Mm. A few things there that they've got with them to check yeah. later and, on. And these have to be placed in a way that they actually interrupt a person and don't become a background noise that is ignored. Is that there what you're There is saying? the risk of that. Yeah. I mean, having it where you need it helps. You can still tune it out and walk right past yeah. it. You do need, you need children to need, do it. Children mm. also need <clears throat> reminders. Yeah. So um, the parent also needs to notice that the checklist is there and direct their attention to mm. look at it. Mm. Yeah. And you might build in some reward. Mm. So yeah. we're going to have the TV off. You're not going to have the iPad in the morning until you've done everything on the list. And then you can have whatever time is left, you can have on the iPad or on the TV. Yeah. Yeah. So, Benita, each of those four jobs is a point. Four points equals a bit of TV time before you leave. could do that. Yeah. You could have more time versus more things. Or yeah. you could just have, well, we won't have time for natural consequences or the best consequences. Yep. Mm. If you are really slow in getting ready, we're just not going to have time yep. for anything f extra fun. Yep. So we're going to have to just get in the car and go. Okay. But if you get everything done, yep. then you've got the time. Yeah. So yeah. a natural consequence of something that would happen in real life yep. is the best kind of consequence. Mm. The yeah. same thing at school. I, yes. Okay. So by putting those stickies around in the way you have taken what would typically be an internal process mm -hmm. of managing directing your behaviour toward that end goal of getting some TV before you go to school, you have externalised that, put it in their environment, but you are still in a way, you've, you've compensated for something that's not going on internally mm -hmm. yeah. by putting, okay, yeah. and this is what routine does for us. Yeah. And you've got right. to be aware of what's going on in that kid's mind. So you've said, go brush your teeth, and they start walking down the hall and a thought occurs or they see a toy on the floor and their attention has gone completely from the instruction to that thing. Mm. And you'll find them doing that instead of having got to the bathroom and done their teeth. Mm. So you need and to have still, a- still, as an adult, yes. I struggle with that. <laughs> yes. Okay. You know, it, so this is not something that you can just- It doesn't just go decide away. Decide no. on, no. you know, I've been working on it for 50 something years yeah. and I still struggle with that. You, so, look, good for you, 50 <laughs> you look good for 50 something, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, with my kids, we had a book that we made together. So, they drew pictures. So, we came up with their morning routine, laminated it into a book. That's a nice and one. And then they followed. Mm -hmm. They just yeah. flipped a page on the book and did that next thing. We started off with that. But then, being the tech geek I am, I made a PowerPoint presentation mm. with visual timers on the screen for the steps. And so, and when the- You had when to try they, to race the timer yeah, to get it done. and when they hit- um, next, yep. there's like some random funny sound plays. So it's like a fun kind of routine, but not a not a like digital time, but something, you know, like a pie chart uh -huh. that you can see. You can see time yeah, disappearing. You need to get this done yeah. with plenty of time. So, you know, if you you don't have to rush. Yeah. You just mm -hmm. follow the routine. Although that's not necessarily a bad one either to try to beat the clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. How then, quickly can you get your teeth done? At the end, you get more free time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, the faster you get through the routine, yeah. then the, your free time's yours to do mm. what you want. That's right. I'm looking past your shoulder to Teaching Tough Kids by Mark LeMessurier, and there is a section on kids with ADHD, and he referred to it as managing time and task. Mm. And this is how you help your kids manage time and task. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And love it. And so, so thinking of the kids in your classroom or your kids and understanding that the difficulty is that management.
that yeah. self-management. And so it's not something that you can punish out of a kid. It's not something you can reward out of a kid. Like this is just a thing that you need to deal with. Mm. And so thinking in terms of taking over that executive function so that these things kind of get externalized or turned into a routine or whatever. Providing um, the prompts providing as the, the responsible prompts, adult yeah. who actually needs to give prompts to, to keep things on the right track. And hopefully keeping it rewarding and motivating mm -hmm. because, you know, we've talked almost exclusively about ADHD, but, you know, picture a kid who lives with dyslexia and they're trying to read and they live with ADHD. That is a great big mound of oh, awful, isn't yeah. it? Like, mm. That is a horrible uh, mountain to overcome of like, how do I get myself motivated to do this thing that I find almost impossible mm. to do when there's shiny things over here mm. and fun mm. things over here to do? So writing is the most difficult of academic tasks mm. because it requires a high level of multitasking. And a high level of automation of stuff. And, yes. So mm. if... If you've got dyslexia, your um, handwriting, the letter formation and the spelling is not automatic. So that adds an extra layer of difficulty. So mm. the more automatic you get with the handwriting yep. and the spelling, yep. the less effortful the task will be. Yes. But if you're looking at ADHD, you've got the big idea of what you want to say. So you might have your story idea, but then you've got to focusing on how am I going to grammatically express that in a sentence at a time. So you've got remembering the spelling while you're writing, putting in punctuation. So you might find the ADHD kid writes with no punctuation because holding all of those things is very, very effortful. We're talking cognitive overload. It's mm. cognitive overload. Mm. And so what you find is that the amount produced is often way less because they need to keep stopping for brain breaks which they create for themselves by yeah. talking to their buddy <laughs> if there isn't a structure to it. So there'll be a whole lot less produced at the end of the writing lesson. So it's a disorder of um, productivity. Mm -hmm. And generally what I would suggest is that more of it is typed, certainly past junior primary years, because mm. typing is mentally, it hasn't got the motor component, mm. so it's mentally less effortful, mm. which takes a level of that cognitive load out, mm. and particularly if you can get a bit quicker in typing. So mm. then you only have to do one thing. You don't have to rewrite it to get a good copy. You can go back and you can change it and add in the missing punctuation and correct it and mm. uh, expand it to have more good ideas. So I would say that being able to type work is one of the key adjustments mm. that helps take out the cognitive load of writing. What if the kids are really slow two-finger typer like me? Been <laughs> <laughs> you well, know, you know, I saw a kid the other day who typed with two fingers and he reckoned he was super fast. Yeah. And he was like, I don't need to learn to use all the other fingers because I'm really fast with the two. <laughs> but he could always produce more typing okay. because he didn't feel bad about yeah. The writing, like no. the effortfulness of handwriting mm, that's right. makes the task feel yuck. And when it feels yuck, they don't want to do it. No, so their true. brain keeps timing out and they keep stopping. Yeah. I like mm. that analogy, the brain keeps timing out. You mm. used it before and it caught my ear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because it's an involuntary thing. It's effort, effort, effort. And whatever their level of time frame for that is, then it will just switch off. 
So is that when the brain runs out of its ability to self-regulate? Because um, that's expensive in the brain. When yeah. you make yourself do something you don't want to do, that is cognitively expensive. And if you've got ADHD, you, c- you have much shorter bursts of that. Yes. That fuel tank runs out that's a lot right. faster. I'm not entirely sure what the cognitive mechanisms behind that are. Yeah. I have read some stuff. It's actually quite a complex yes, right. process. Yeah. But the way you've described it will do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So okay. talking about it as a fuel tank, that's yeah. good. Well, that's, yeah. again, I borrowed it from Barclay. And he yeah. said that fuel tank, when you are self-regulating and you, it's hard to direct behaviour toward a goal of doing something hard, um, if you've got ADHD, you run out of that fuel to do that very quickly and that's when you need a quick break-off task mm-hmm. to fill it up and then you go again. Mm. Yeah, I, and those instant rewards I find work really well. And, and again, you know, I'm working one-on-one with the kid and so it's a lot easier. Mm. But, you know, I've had kids who um, really struggle you know, working with kids who have severe ADHD. And what has worked for me is actually listening to Barclay and him talking about um, computer games and how kids living with ADHD eat them up. You know, they can play them for hours because they get that instant reward. Mm. So I was relating that to my teaching and thinking, that's what I do. So when a kid's working, you know, one of the things he said which I loved was, you know, when you – answer something in your homework, nothing happens. Mm. <laughs> you know, yes. you write something in a book, nothing happens. No. You know, so there's no reward for it. And so when mm. I'm working with a kid, I am literally rewarding them for everything they do, mm. either verbally or in, mm. in some other way. So they're writing, they write a word. I say, it looks really good, well written. Mm. I like your pee there. Mm. Like I'm always giving mm. that little bit of reward so that they are dopamine's kept up mm. and they're like, yeah, I'm mm. liking this. If that's how I get kids with ADHD through a two-hour assessment in yeah, one sitting yeah. is, yeah, constantly interacting and praising yeah. and mm. observing. Like I'll observe, hey, that was really great how you slowed down and thought it through there. Yeah. Mm. So commenting on the qualities of paying attention, thinking yeah. it through, giving it a go, mm-hmm. all of those qualities. Rewarding yeah. the behaviour you want to see. If your kid's got a phonological disorder, however, I'm going to be very careful about saying good stuff when they're right in the middle of trying to hold a phrase in mind to write it. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So, and so- Oh, you don't do it quite as often when yeah. you're working with a kid in a classroom, of course. Yeah. You can't yeah. be there for every word. Yeah. What I, now, I have done this mm. as well, is I have a little uh, plastic cup and some beans. Uh-huh. And so I don't interrupt the kid and I watch. They get a little reward and I just pop a bean in the cup and it makes a little like clicking noise, like a computer reward type thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not interrupting them or breaking their flow, but they are hearing the beans going in Mm -hmm. and they're getting like, oh, I'm doing a a good job here. I've heard of teachers using that in the classroom where they have something that they drop into the pot um, so they don't have to stop and talk to the kid. Mm-hmm. They just wander past, notice that the kid's on task, drop a little token yeah. in. Um, and I get that little yeah. buzz yeah, yeah. of, Because somebody's I've, noticed I've that I've done- I've been rewarded. Yes. This feels good. Yeah. I want to do more of this. I mm-hmm. want to do more of this. You are sprinkling consequence into the kid's environment. We're Once adding a- in the dopamine that's we missing. Are, right. Once upon a time, there's <laughs> these things called beep tapes. 
<laughs> I've heard you talk about these before. So, I, I, yeah, I had, yeah. A, I had a whole app at Wireframe called Beep and Buzz based on it. <laughs> found out it was going to be 30000 bucks to do, so we stopped. But anyway, this notion of a beep tape was a teacher would put a tape into a recorder and that tape would beep at a periodic, it might 30 seconds a minute, and the, the beep would be a cue for everyone in the class to go, am I on task? Am I doing what I should? Constant external reminder to check in, check in, am I maintaining task? Am I, am I maintaining task? Now, I know this is not the same because the bean going is is a reward, but it is also a cue yeah. to am I doing yes. what's expected in this moment. Yes. And it, that's, you know, and I don't really know the efficacy behind mm. beep tapes, but boy, oh boy, the rationale makes sense to yeah. me. Yeah, and I didn't know that theory behind it, but it seemed to work for me. And, and this was in maths that I've done this. So then at the end, we count the beans. Yeah. And we talk about different ways of counting the beans and we nice. add them up and, you know, their task is to add them up and blah, blah, blah. So it all kind of fits Connects in. together. You know, and I'd pull the beans out. Mm. They've got to estimate how many are there. So it's like, I don't know, it just makes a difficult task just finding little opportunities because you think of computer games and, you know, we think about mm-hmm. this fun. They're actually really hard. Mm. You know, they make them just hard enough that you don't give up. You have to actually work it's at it. Be hard, you can't just you know, do yeah. every level or and it can effort. be repetitive mm. and not necessarily, you know, um, immediately gratifying. You yeah. know what I mean? But you still are getting that constant immediate feedback that you don't get from a book that you're uh-huh. writing in. I was listening to Peps McRae being interviewed by Ollie Lovell on the E Triple R podcast, and Peps McRae was talking about computer games. The, the topic is motivation. And he's saying, yes, so the designers of those games build in a very short reward schedule early. And he goes, do you know who else who does that? Poker machine designers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Instant reward. But so intermittent, intermittent is the most effective mm. type. Yes. If it's predictable, the brain doesn't get the same. It's, the intermittent is what makes the poker machine so effective because you never know quite when it's going to come. But there are algorithms based on stretching that out. And anyone who's done behaviour modification knows when you build in a reward, you then build it out. You you make that space of time different, less predictable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And jackpots are effective. Yes. My word. And so sometimes when I'm working with a kid, they'll get a jackpot. Aha. So it may not be necessarily related to something big they've done, uh-huh. but sometimes they'll do something and I might go awesome and dump a whole handful of beans in. It's like this bang, like dopamine jackpot. Yeah. And now I'm not doing this with every kid. No. I'm doing this with kids who need that m- moment-to-moment support. You know, a kid who literally can't stay in their, <laughs> in yeah, their chair, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? So, But... Yeah, I, I think that whole game theory, gambling, the idea of the jackpot, it's all behaviour. Well, it is informed. Positive behaviour yeah, management. It is informed yeah. by solid science. This is the- <laughs> Used for evil. Used for, <laughs> yeah, for nefar- nefarious um, so, yeah, so, reasons. Okay, then. Let's just backtrack. We have discussed the, the difficulty or the deficit that is ADHD. We've said it's poorly named. It is not actually about attention per se. It is about being able to regulate your behaviour in a particular direction. And regulate your attention and to regulate the your thing attention. you have to do. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. What's hard for kids with ADHD or people with ADHD is if the goal is right out there in time, the brain is inhibited to self-reward mm-hmm. itself and yeah. self-motivate itself and self-maintain. And I, and I would add into that, 
not just regulating in order to do something and achieve a reward, but regulating to take yourself away from something that you're doing to, that you're uh, enjoying. Right, to also, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I'm enjoying something, yep. getting me to stop doing it yep. is, is hard. It's even hard for me. Like, yes. I can't stop myself from doing it. Okay. So you getting know, started so, with things, yep. stopping things is yep. all part of that self-regulating, self-management. Yeah. Getting and, a kid to stop playing a game to yeah. do homework is mm. like, Whoa. Yeah. And all this and all this <laughs> management happens in the frontal lobe. Yeah. They're called the executive functions. Mm. There's this really important chemical called dopamine, which is in the picture here. And if you have ADHD, that is being it's there's not enough available okay. in the brain. And so you need really exciting things yep. to trigger enough of it. Okay. So little everyday things don't trigger it like they do for the neurotypical brain. Okay. We've talked so we've talked about how the environment the way we teach, the way we reward, the way we consequence, either way, needs to be ramped up with these kids if you've got ADHD because the environment then becomes your cueing system, which would otherwise be internal if you're typically developing, right? Mm -hmm. Ramped up or perhaps increased in frequency. Frequency, yeah. Yeah, so, you know. That's what I mean. They can be small rewards. Yes. But I want to get them every yeah. A couple of minutes, not it, twice a day. Gotcha. <laughs> yes. So this is okay. And how long you can go between rewards <sighs> generally changes as you get older. So yeah. you can have bigger gaps between the rewards. So yeah. for a reception kid, it's every couple of minutes, yeah. maybe that you're checking in or, you know, mm. 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, for a high school kid, it might be twice a lesson. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So right. you don't, it's yes. your ability to. To stick out a task generally increases with age because with age comes greater maturity. Yes, mm. yeah, and that's important yeah. you say this because this is a delay. This is yes. th- this is what makes it different to a specific learning difficulty. So it's a pervasive developmental delay, gotcha. uh, which means that it in- it impacts on everything. Yeah. Pervasive is impacts on everything, Goes and everywhere. developmental means it's from birth and impacts on how your brain develops. Yep, and. The research shows that the brain still goes through all the normal stages of development. It just happens more slowly. Behind, yep. Um, And the frontal lobes and the executive functioning really don't fully mature until... 30s. Well, they do most of their studies on men. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's for males, 35 instead of 25. Yep. um, (laughs) Is what I've read. Yeah. Um, But, of course, women tend to... Um, mature a little earlier, so it's probably earlier no. for, for some women. <laughs> yes. Right, okay. So, all right. Now that we have kind of waded through what this kind of is, let's talk about how it crosses over with re- with reading and, re- and, and how it crosses over with reading difficulty, like a specific learning difficulty like dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Benita, talk to us. All right. So first off, because we've been talking about ADHD, I think let's talk about what is specific to ADHD and reading, and then we can add in what the dyslexia brings as well. But for ADHD, what you often hear from kids is, I don't want to read, it's boring. So what is going on in their brain is that their brain is reading the words. So generally, if they don't have dyslexia, they can read all the words, but it's not actually going into their brain. And so you could get to the end of the page and 
You ask them, what did they read? No idea. So it's about the focus and the working memory. So being able to hold what you've read in mind so that it actually makes sense. So if you're reading a story, you need to have that sense of the story that you've already read to make sense of what's happening now. And then, of course, if you have to do a task on the book, you have to be able to remember what was in it, Mm. uh, which is all really difficult. And so adults with ADHD often are not big readers Mm. because they'll get two pages in and they'll either forget what they've read or both forget what they've read and their brain's gone off on something else. So the reading task is putting demands on number one, attention, and number two, working memory. Yes. They're the two big ones in my opinion. Yep. Um, Often for older people, um, audiobooks Mm. are more effective Mm -hmm. unless you've got significant difficulties with auditory processing, Mm. which does overlap quite a lot as well, in which case, talk, 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 um, you're going to tune out. But hearing it and reading it at the same time often works well. Right. But when you're learning to read, uh, particularly if you've got dyslexia as well, then there's the effortfulness. Like with writing, we were talking about the effortfulness of the letter formation and the spelling, it's not automatic. Reading is the same. If it's not automatic, then that takes brain power away from the comprehension. Right. So you've got your cognitive overload yeah, yeah. again, mm. yeah. which happens quicker yep. if you can't focus on it as well as if the words are mm. harder. Okay. So you've got a student who has no reading difficulties they they have stored enough words to make sense. They've got good. I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of the simple view of reading. They've got mm-hmm. language comprehension and they have decoding. So they have stored enough words. But what's getting in the way as they read are the demands that reading long form stuff. When I say long form, that's subjective, isn't it? But reading. And say I'm going to put yeah. a pin in that one too Go. because it's not just long form. No. Uh, so I. Because I see such a diversity of kinds of kids, I test reading using really short passages that have a word missing, so closed passages, Um, because they can reread the passage and they can look for clues. But I find, so the dyslexic kids usually, even if they can't read a couple words, can usually score fine because it's not overloading their working memory. Mm. The ADHD kids don't notice the clues in the text that they need to make sense of it. So there's often a keyword or there's a few words that um, give a hint for inference. They're just not noticing them. Mm. So the research shows that for those kids, the most effective intervention to increase reading performance is actually medication because it works on getting the brain to focus on what's in front of them. Mm. And it, I mean, if you can't focus on what you're Mm. reading, there's no strategy that's going to make comprehension work for you. Because all of those comprehension strategies that we taught kids relied on really sound executive functioning. You know, the can you find keywords, can you get the main idea, can you ask yourself, am I understanding this? They are all executive functions. So you're saying that you can teach those strategies or talk to kids about them until the cows come home, but they are still not going to get through 
the main issue, the problem. Okay, because now people have been waiting for medication. They not, you know, mm. what I mean, people listening to this who medicate their kids have been waiting for us to talk about medication. I know it. We're talking about it in the context of reading. What about it in the broader context? And we'll come back to reading, but we've got to go here, seeing we're here. Well, where does one start? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so there are, there first are be- off, there yeah. are lots of different kinds of ADHD medication these days, but yeah. the most common uh, and most effective are the stimulant medications. Right. Um, stimulant doesn't mean the same as what you think every day. Uh, mm. For the ADHD brain, a stimulant is calming, not arousing. So it settles the brain down and helps the brain to focus in. It doesn't like Hype if, it up. If you're mm. like drinking five cans of Coke and you're a neurotypical person and you end up all hyped because you had too much stimulants, yeah. that the ADHD brain actually responds differently because the chemicals in the brain are different. This is counterintuitive. It is. So it does the opposite of what you think. Stimulant mm. medication with ADHD is not stimulating in the way we normally think when someone says stimulating. No. You could, I suppose, say it's stimulating your ability to focus. Uh-huh. But it's really, um, yep. yeah, it's a misnomer. Okay. So there is a beat up on trashy Australian current affair programs every six months when things get slow about the number of kids being medicated. mm and the uh, and how we're drugging the kids, mm. and uh, I have to, and that, and when I have parents come in and they've had a child who has been recently identified, and they're doing the weighing up around medication, that spooks them. Yep, mm. parents are often really scared of the idea, and they're also, if they do go ahead with it, um, ashamed of telling anyone that their kid is on medication because of negative. Mm. Um, comments from other Oh, you can't people. parent yeah. your kid properly so you drug them, do you? That's right. Yeah. Big stigma and around it. That right. is a valid concern because mm. people are very judgmental and I certainly wouldn't be sharing it with every person in the schoolyard. <laughs> um, but the fact of it is that it's been used for decades and is highly effective and very safe. The most commonly used one is Ritalin, mm. um, which has had the most research done on it and- the main side effects are lack of appetite mm. and some impact on sleep. Um, but not everyone has But not those. everybody has no. those. No. Um, and lack of appetite is a pretty minimal side effect mm. for kids who are not able to function in the classroom and learn. Generally, I would only recommend it for my clients if the impairments were fairly significant mm. because it is a big thing to take a... A medication. My experience of talking to adults who take the medication and children who've been on medication is that it does change the internal feeling. And I don't know if that's just because things are working differently. Or how they um, should have. And how they should have, but it feels different. And some people or children don't like that feeling. I've, I've experienced that with a couple of students. Yes. I, I don't feel like me. Yeah. And I've gone to them, Is it, I get it. I think what's happening is you're feeling how a brain at your age and it might should be, be feeling. It's hard to know. Yeah, right. Um, or maybe is, it's a dosage issue. There is, yeah, some, right. there is some research. I was watching a very interesting uh, expert from America. They're all from America <laughs> um, about- medication and his point was that the research shows 
that that change in that personality stuff is dosage related, Hmm. but medications only come in so low a dose. So a tablet only goes to whatever low Hmm. milligrams, Hmm. but some people's biology is such that half of that or a fraction of that would be enough to... And so the lowest dose is still too much and you Mm. get this bluntening of personality Mm. and that you shouldn't do that. I can, I recently, a student, uh, and I've had a few students say this, they say, if it's working well, I don't think I'm different on it. I feel exactly the same. But when I look back on my day and see what I've accomplished, I've done like five times more than I would have if I hadn't been taking it. So that is the ideal of what you want is to not have a bad feeling Mm. and not necessarily notice yourself, but have people around you go, wow, you were following that conversation better. You weren't going off on tangents while you were talking. Mm. And um, being able to just get through your day. Or you were in the yard and something went wrong and you didn't immediately emote and swear or do something impulsive. Yep. So you're a poor judge if you're inside it of how it's how how medication is affecting your functioning. Yes. Um, Not necessarily. I guess what okay. I really wanted yeah. to say with that is I think you should honour kids' feelings. Yes. And if they feel bad, that that you shouldn't just go. Oh, we'll just power yeah. through no, it. No, that's yeah. a problem. They can They so we don't want kids feeling different in a bad way. Um, but still, a, a well, student, it kind of defeats the point, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. No, it does. Bad. That's right. Why'd you do that? So. But what you're saying, sorry, if I understand you properly, you're saying a kid might go, oh, I didn't feel any different. Mm. And we go, well, that's actually good because I noticed a difference. You probably mm. didn't because you're yes, inside it. That's yep. it. Okay. Mm. Yeah. That is your better outcome. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, often I've also had kids go, wow, I feel so much better on it. I, you know, mm. things mm. Are so, just go so much easier. Yeah. But I wouldn't discount it if the kids go on, it's not making a difference. Yeah. Because right. it's about. What's yeah. the evidence around okay. of what yeah. how they're doing? Yeah, so, so that's my experience with it. Right. So I take medication. The effect for me is profound. Like for me, there's no question. It is so, like you say, it, it has the opposite effect. And and I was very nervous about taking it. You know, because of all the talk the out there. You know, mm. the stigma and so on. And but the thing is, I took it, and it was like this calm and quiet and sense of relaxation that I've literally never felt before. Bizarre. When you say, not what I expected. When you say quiet, what do you mean? Um, it's, a, it's, it's hard to describe, um, but for me it was like that hyperactive part. It was like imagine you're in a room and you're surrounded by these high status experts, right, people that you have to do what they say. And they're all talking at the same time and they're all telling you to do different things. So this one's telling you to do this, this one's telling you to do that, and you're trying to please them all. But they, you know, and sometimes they all agree and they're all telling you to do this one thing and that's like hyper-focus. Like all these experts are agreeing and that's that's it and that's all I can do. Um, but then other times they're competing and I'm all over the place. Like I have to do this, I have to do that. You know, and you get that kind of scatterbrain feeling. I take this tablet and now it's me that's in charge. Now I'm the one that decides I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And there isn't all these competing priorities. They just disappear and I'm just left 
kind of like in an empty room. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. And I'm just standing there and I'm like, this is weird. Like, how can a tablet do that? It's such a profound experience because it's like, okay, what do I do with this? Now I can actually just decide I'm going to do something and do it. And it's not such a struggle with oh. all these competing priorities and things getting in the way. So, is that, it's, I mean, that's a, probably a poor, you know, not, that's not exactly what's happening, but that's kind of the closest I can get to it is like just this sense of calm and like I become the decision maker, not just impulsivity right. or the next thing that attracts my attention or whatever. I don't get stuck in those rabbit mm. holes. I can just say, I can notice when I've gone on t off task and say, oh, I'll just shelve that and I'm going to stay on task here. So, so yeah, it's uh, weird. So some people talk about a restlessness in the mind. Barclay yes. will say a restlessness, a physical restlessness as a child grows will go and it turn into an internal restlessness, interrupting thoughts, loud thoughts. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And these all these competing priorities right. all the time yeah. that you have to do. And, you know, it's only now that I've had medication and seen what it's like not to be that <laughs> that I realise how big that is, you know, like... It's such a profound difference Yeah, right. to be in control rather mm. than be, you know, I've often described myself even, you know, pre-thinking about ADHD as a bit like I've, I've always felt a bit like a feather blowing in the wind. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't, that's how much control I've had, I've felt I've had over what I'm doing. You know mm. what I mean? Wherever the wind blows, I blow mm. and it seems I have no choice about it, but suddenly I have a choice. It's what weird. you're describing is very much that, that, Restlessness has become internalised yes. that Bill's talking about. Yes. But for the inattentive kid, often there's nothing in there. So there might be one, you know, thought about something that's caught their attention, but it's not a busyness in there. It's a lack of having anything. Oh. So all of those competing um, demands that you've got in your head the inattentive kid, it's like they never existed. Right. They're not in their head and that's the problem. Okay. There is nothing remind it's like it's blank slate. So Michael, you were talking about a mental hyperactivity. Benita, you're talking about the opposite, a mental underactivity. Yeah. Yep. Or hypoactivity. Mm. Yeah. So and you can whatever you're doing now, you can yeah, yeah there's the combined type. Mm. But kids who are purely inattentive, sometimes there's not a busyness in their brain. Mm. It's, it's the opposite. It's whatever they're doing now is has caught all of their attention. Um, it might be that that swaps from thing to thing quite quickly, but everything else around it has ceased to exist. So when they call it inattentive, which means not attentive, what do they mean? Well, and they're is that talking a poor about label? attending to the thing you're meant to be attending to. Okay. So your brain is always attending to something, but it's inattentive to. The task that what you're, you're meant supposed to, do, to be doing, the instruction that the teacher's just given. Right. Um, so this is a this is a a mental process by which you attend to what is important in your environment mm. instead of in attending to stuff that's not important in your yes. environment. And so your brain, not average brains, can prioritize. What's more important? Yeah. And we could go forever on this topic. <laughs> and we have. <laughs> we have. Oh, well, this has been, Benita, this has been actually delightful because very rarely do we get mm. the chance to sit down I and- I wish we could do this at the pub over a drink <laughs> oh, and just chat good? about 
strategies. That's right. Yeah. And we'd be really disinhibited. Yeah. So- <laughs> 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 oh, yes. Well, thank you for joining us, Benita. It's been absolutely wonderful. Um, I've I always learn a lot mm, in these. And Michael, thank you for thanks for your sharing. Thank you. Was, you know, it My was pleasure. really interesting to get insights into what into how you experience mm, this. I've so. learned a lot. Yeah, oh, me too. Really? Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's been so informative and helpful. And we'd love to hear about your experiences if you if you're a teacher or a parent and you've got some strategies that have worked. So on our website, you can visit this episode at discastia.com and leave a comment. Hey, we can nice. have a discussion. I've yeah. got a feeling we might get a few comments. Yeah, or, or ask a question. Let's and see we'll if anyone see if can, can persist help. through the very long episode <laughs> to the end. We might have need to have broken it up into manageable chunks. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and we are on YouTube, Discastia, and Facebook, and our website, Discastia.com. You can subscribe if you want to keep up to date when we put out new episodes. We're not all that regular no. with our episodes because we're busy and we fit them in when we can. We're on Spotify. We're on Spotify. Yep, we're on all the uh, audio The major podcasts. streaming services. Yep, yeah, services. Um, so thank you, thank Benita. You. Thank you, Michael. Absolutely thank you, brilliant. Bill. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye.